0: Hello college football fans and welcome back to college football college pick'em show with Wes and John. I'm John. Uh, I am Wes Pruitt. I'm sorry. Uh, that's John starting over there to the right, uh, without the hat on and the man at my bottom of the screen anyway is, uh, one Mr. Mark Giannato. Uh, I know that he works for the commercial appeal currently, uh, covering, uh, Tiger sports if I'm correct. And then, uh, and I just found out today from John better late than never Mark. But, uh, just realized you got a show on 92.9 ESPN as well. But thank you very much for being on the show, sir. Hey, no problem. Yeah, no, it's uh it's i fun I'm approaching four years in Memphis
1: and uh absolutely love it. Had have had have had a blast and continue to have
0: a blast. So uh Mark, what what brought you to Memphis to cover
2: sports? Or just talk about your background in general. Yeah. Yeah, no, I uh
0: I
1: grew up in the DC area. Um in the Maryland suburbs, and then uh, went to college at the University of Michigan. And then uh, out of college, I worked in New York for a, for a little while covering uh, news for a, I covered city hall and transportation for a small newspaper up there. And then the paper shut down. and I went down to back to the DC area and worked at like a, a, a group of small weekly papers in Northern Virginia as the sports editor of like 18 different papers. It was, you know, one of those jobs where you you wrote the stories, took the pictures, did, you know, made the design, the pages, did everything, and then did that for like nine months. And then the Washington Post uh, noticed me and I I started covering high schools for them and worked at the Washington Post for seven years, covered Virginia and Virginia Tech um, as well, and lots of other stuff. But, you know, high schools, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Washington Capitals. And then, I wasn't, you know, uh, I guess moving up the way I wanted to at the post. And, uh, I knew Tom Shad who used to cover Memphis football for the commercial yeah. appeal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he called me up one day and was like, Hey, we're looking for a Memphis basketball writer, like a tiger basketball writer. Would you be interested? I know you're not exactly like You, know, you feel like you're stalled at the post. And I was like, yeah, I'd never been to Memphis for my life. Um, but I was familiar with the program I knew Josh Pastner uh, a little bit and uh, had co- I've actually co- I was actually at the last time Memphis basketball played in the NCAA tournament um, the last two times I was there um, I covered when they lost to Virginia in 2014 I was covering Virginia and then I happened to be assigned to the regional site and I guess it was it was Auburn Hills Michigan um, in 2013 when they lost to Michigan state in the second round. Um, but it's like ended up, I, I developed a relationship with pastor through various things, recruiting all that. Um, so I was familiar with Memphis and, you know, I'm a bat. I was, I love basketball. And so, uh, I can't, I, you know, I convinced my wife to move here and our family to move here and, and haven't looked back luckily, uh, you know, a couple years into my time at the commercial Peel. Um, They they made me a columnist when Jeff Calkins left to go to the Daily Memphian. And so now I get to write about, you know, the Tigers, the Grizzlies, and then just everything sports related in Memphis. It's been I've had a lot of fun um, because there's a lot of good stuff to write about in town. And I've been lucky, particularly with Memphis football to have been here during, you know, a really great period in the history of Memphis football. There's been a lot of uh, fun stories to write.
0: Wow. So you've, you've, you've you literally bounced around the country, uh, to end up in Memphis. That's, that's, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. That's, I mean, that's how, I don't know if this is going to turn into a journalism podcast, but <laughs> like, it's kind of, you gotta be willing to do it. You know, it's yeah. like, it's, there's not that many, you know, there's just not that many, it's hard to break into sports journalism because we, you know, we know what the, the climate is, you know, newspapers are folding and shrinking in size all over the place um and so there's a limited amount of jobs and there's a lot of people who you know like i i I, it doesn't i try not to overlook it you know sometimes you get lost in just the work but like you you you, i always try to remind myself like i'm literally i go like yesterday my my work was to go to the memphis stephen f austin game you know and like yeah Like that's a pretty good life, (laughs) you know, like, and that's why I got into this is I love sports and I didn't want to, I didn't want to have a job where I was, I didn't want to, I, I mean, I can do a nine to five job, but I don't necessarily want to. And, and this is a job where, you know, I'm getting paid to go to stuff. I probably would pay myself to go to in, in normal circumstances. So it's, uh, I, I, I love it. It's, uh, and, and it's just been, been great I'm like I guess 12 I graduated from Michigan in 2008 so I'm 12 years in and I'm I've been really lucky and uh uh I was I'm really lucky that I that I ended up in Memphis like I had never been here until I interviewed for the job and now I mean like I don't really want to (laughs) leave I just I you know I the people here have been so great and uh uh the the teams have been so fun to cover yeah
2: Mark speaking of
0: Go ahead,
2: John. I was going to say, Mark, since I first known you, I think I met you at like a prep football game at, like at Cordova or mm-hmm. something like that. But uh, first of all, I do want to say thank you for everything that you do for the city as well because, you know, there's not enough people that give um, a lot of journalists, like a lot of credit, especially when they got that deadline of so early these days as well. Especially I think what y'all deadline was at 9 o'clock now because oh, it's even Eastern earlier than that. Is, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you got to file, like, I, you know, you got to file,
1: right after a game it's crazy yeah
0: i gonna we'll put you a quick what question i was real. gonna ask yeah is what's what is it like i mean especially with COVID 19 going on
2: mm-hmm.
0: does it and, and with like you said the old days of people buying a newspaper yeah i mean i don't think they're gone but i think it's definitely changed it's, di- but,
1: it's, it's dying i mean like yeah, let's be it, real it's no definitely one dying no one no one over the age of Oh no one under the age of what forty? Yeah. Grew up probably like I'm probably I'm I'm thirty I'm almost thirty five and I grew up as a kid like I learned like honestly in a lot of ways I learned how to read reading the Washington Post sports section, but like my brother my younger brother who's only like four or five years younger than me like he didn't grow up reading the paper like I'm probably like the the youngest person who. G- remembers reading a newspaper every morning and so oh, yeah.
0: i mean i'm i'm 35 and i can remember as a kid getting up on sunday morning and grabbing a newspaper and grabbing yanking that sports section out mm-hmm. and flipping through and figuring out what happened around the country you know i mean it's, yeah. so give me a i mean what is a challenge especially today with the digital age so are, i mean is it difficult to have both on the paper and digital uh, is it is well
1: you know you, you honestly with the way our deadlines are at the commercial peel, you try not even to think about the print part of it you let someone else handle that like you know like w- the, with how early our deadlines are like a typical grizzlies home game for instance doesn't make print the next day because we just right. it's so early so you you try i try they t- they tell us and i try not to think of it in terms of you know this is going to be in the paper the next day. I try to think of it digitally, like I need to try and, you know, I'm trying to do the best possible work and get it up in a timely fashion. And you have to think about all these other different factors, like, you know, the analytics of journalism. So, and, you know, they talk about analytics in in sports, but like, for instance, like after a game, like after that Memphis Stephen F Austin game, your biggest traffic in terms of clicks, and, wet, you know, getting, and, and I, you know, click, people talk about like clickbait, but like, and I always like laugh because it's like, of course I want people to click on my story. Like, I want people to read what I write. Um, but the same
0: thing with, with me and John doing this show. Yeah. You want yeah. people to look at it. Yeah. I, I yeah. I agree.
1: And so, but like the, the research shows that after a game, that first hour after a game, that's when ev- that's when you're gonna get the most people reading your story. Cause think yeah. about it from your <laughs> your perspective as a fan, like the game ends and you, you want go hear what you anal- to you want analysis yeah. Yeah, right exactly. away. And like ultimately, like if let's say the game ends at 2:30, if the analysis isn't up till eight o'clock at night, like you know, probably half your potential audience has probably moved on to other things. They're like, yeah. you know, going you're going out for the night or you know, having dinner with their family, watching other games, hanging out with their family, doing whatever, like they want that instant analysis, but it's also a challenge because let's just be honest. Like if, you know, if you can wait, if you have more time to write something, you can produce something better. So it's that balance of, you know, I want to try to get this out quickly, but I also want to make sure this isn't just something that I wrote, really quickly and isn't going to provide anything for the audience and so that's kind of the biggest challenge especially as a columnist covering games is is giving people analysis quickly but giving them analysis
2: that's worth their time right Right. i had a question regarding the subscribed articles and whatnot Mm -hmm. as well because i've been Mm -hmm. asked this a lot lately i don't know the (laughs) answer to because i don't work for y'all or Mm -hmm. the daily methane or anything like that Mm -hmm. but how do y'all know which articles the read that are subscribed and not subscribed because yeah. i know there's certain articles that are subscribed for subscribers only and some of them aren't what's like what's the real reason behind it can you explain that yeah
1: um <laughs> it's probably <laughs> mostly above my pay grade but um i can tell you like you know it kind of it, it's something that you know ultimately like you know these newspapers digital news outlets whatever you want to call them you know because um they're trying to, you know, they need more revenue. And um, the online subscription model, like the New York Times and the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal have, and the Boston Globe, I think is another one, like they've all, they're having success with um, digital subscriptions, like making significant amounts of money. And like the dilemma, a newspaper like the Commercial Appeal is going through, and, and, and it's not just the Commercial Appeal, it's like a lot of papers of that size around the country is that still to this day even with the diminished number of print subscribers print is still the biggest revenue stream for these outlets yeah Yeah. and so and so you but they're but basically they know like their days with print subscribers are numbered like old like we Mm -hmm. mentioned like the you know it's like an it's a much older audience and you know, this is like very fatalistic, but like ultimately those people are going to die, you know, and like you're, you're, you you're have to find a new uh, model for how to take advantage of this. And and ultimately the subscriptions in print make you make a lot more money or excuse me, you make a lot more money off print subscriptions and you make a lot more money off print ads than you do off digital subscriptions and digital ads so it's these media companies are trying to figure out how do we monetize the digital better and what they found the athletic is doing it um and others is that this you know getting more people to subscribe online and i like when i tell people is you know like people get mad because the commercial appeal print edition like you mentioned like a typical grizzlies game doesn't get in the paper but i you know, like I think there is great value in the commercial appeals digital subscription package. Like it's like I think you get like the right now you can get like the first three four months for a dollar a month, and then it's like seven ninety nine eight ninety nine after that. And like there's a lot of stuff. Like like you know we have even though our staff is smaller than it you know a lot smaller than it was in the heyday of the commercial appeal. Like we're still producing a lot of good stuff, but. Um, back to your original question about the for subscribers, not for subscribers, essentially, <clears throat> excuse me, the way they decide that is like, because you're trying to balance, trying to, you, you're balancing getting a lot of traffic to your site. So like trending news, breaking news, typically that won't be subscriber only because they want more people to click on it they want clicks Right. they want google they want google to pick up on it they want facebook to to you know that but then for for (laughs) the the whole point the whole point of the subscribers is like the force of you know for subscribers only thing is one you want to reward the people who are paying for subscriptions like you want you know they're paying this money you want to reward them for doing that and then two it's typically content that we feel you're not going to get anywhere else. And so it's to try and convince people to subscribe. Like, so for me, over the last year, like, frankly, a majority of my columns are for subscribers only now at this point, because the metrics have shown, like, you know, like, I have been able to drive some subscriptions for us. Like my people, you know, I, I wish it was more, you know, like we, we could always need, we could always use more at the commercial appeal. Um, and it's the same, like, frankly, it's the same thing. With Daily Memphian, Jeff Calkins, a lot of his columns are the same way. Cause like, you know, he's, he's a, an amazing columnist and, you know, you're just not going to get, you can't get that anywhere else. You can't get his voice anywhere else. And so, and I'd like to think that's what the commercial appeal thinks about me. You know, I'm not at the level of Jeff at this point in my career, but, Like that's the, that's the mindset of it. So like typically when you're seeing it's for subscribers only, there's two trains of thought. One, we want to reward the subscribers who have subscribed and two, this is content that you're not going to get anywhere else. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's analysis and reporting that, um, we think we hope is important enough that people will feel compelled to subscribe because of it. Yeah, interesting. So it's, a, it's it's a balance. like I a mean, ultimately, it's a business yeah. it's a business and they you know yeah. we, we want as many we are trying to get as many digital subscribers as we can so that we can you know again flip this conundrum that a lot of newspapers are going through where ultimately still today and it's this it, this is true of the commercial appeal their biggest revenue stream is print subscribers but like the reality of 10 15 years from now Like, what's that going to look like? Because you're losing print subscribers by the day. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. No, most definitely. I mean, really, I think when you really look at it, they're just evolving. I mean, at the end of the day, that's all these, these print companies are doing is they know, like you said, the average age of a print subscriber, I would guess, is probably 45 years old. I mean, I, and I could be wrong. I have no term, idea. I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. Yeah,
1: your point is is valid. It's it's yeah. it's an old it's an older generation that you know the people who get the paper still are the, like my dad for instance back in the D.C. area he still gets the Washington Post in print but you look around our street that I grew up on where like you used to see the Washington Post in every driveway like my dad is one of the only people with a <laughs> yeah. with the Washington Post in his driveway each morning so um, it's just. You know, it's uh, here. here's what I always tell people, I I feel like and and you guys can disagree or agree, but I feel like people are consuming news and the written word more than they ever have before. It's just they're doing it differently. Like, you you know, there's just lots, lots more ways. And then where the where the newspapers made a mistake is, is for 20 years back when the Internet started, they were giving away this product that they were making pay, people pay a premium for in print, they gave away for free on the internet for 15, 20 years. Yeah. People, me, you, we all grew accustomed to just getting everything for free on the internet. And so now they, they, they should have never, in retrospect, probably should have not done that. And so now they're trying to rectify that. You see all these different local outlets You know, like it's like what we're doing at the Commercial Appeal is no different than what they're doing in, I don't know, Richmond, Virginia, and Dayton, Ohio, and, you know, like all these places. Um, And they're, you know, but it's, it's now we, you know, because the consumer got so used to getting their news for free for so long, it's hard to change those habits. There's, and, and frankly, I don't necessarily, you got to earn, you know, it's just like any other business, you got to earn the customer's faith, you gotta earn their money. And um, and the other part is when you have so many different outlets, at, you know, whether it's like, the, you know, like for instance, I, I'm probably different than most people. Like I have a digital subscription to the Washington Post. I have a digital subscription to the New York Times. I have a digital subscription to the Commercial Appeal. And I have a digital subscription to the Daily Memphian. My guess is there are not very many people in the world who have for you know, the money or the time or the, you know, the way that they want to have four subscriptions like that. Cause you also got, you know, you got to subscribe to Netflix and Amazon <laughs> Prime yeah. and, yeah. you know, like all these other like people got to fit, you know, everyone may has to make choices on how they, how they want to spend their income. Like, and so it's the, it's a, you know, it's just like any other business, the, the strong will survive. And I don't know, you know, like if you ask me like 10 years from now, what is this going to look like? in like the you know print journalism and all that i have i don't know but i i can tell you this i think it's going to look different than it does now just like oh, it no looks doubt. a lot different than it did 10 years ago
0: oh yeah
2: we'll, mark, we'll definitely have you on in 10 years yeah, <laughs> yeah most definitely hopefully hopefully we we'll still have a job in 10 years too <laughs> yeah exactly no, no no mark i've been buying the paper since jason Smith did the preps back in the day that's how mm-hmm. many years i've been buying the paper yeah. But uh, real quick uh, i just noticed i forgot that you have a picture of triple h with you on your mm. twitter feed so did you used to like cover wrestling or anything like that back in the day Order, no, so when I was at the Washington Post, 30's I, 30's, I did, no, the reason I'm asking, because it's the 30-year anniversary of the Undertaker Yeah, back tonight. <laughs> I watched
1: his documentary like a week or two ago on like the free it's, WWE network. It was awesome. I was, oh, it was it's like awesome, one of the best man. things I've seen.
0: Oh, don't um, even get me started. I'm a huge wrestling fan. Like we're cutting everything, you know, we're trying to stop everything by six tonight because that's what time yeah. we start. But, <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's huge.
1: Well, so I can, I'll give you a, if you want, do you want the story of how that picture yeah. came to be? Okay. So, um, I guess it was like five, six years ago now at this point. Um, do you know, you know, Mojo Raleigh? Yeah. Um,
0: yeah.
1: So I've known his real name is Dean Mutati. I've known yeah. him for, he played, long...
0: he played football at Maryland, uh, real good yes. friends with, with Rob Gronkowski on a personal level. Yeah.
1: Yes. So he went to, he went to TC Williams, the, the remember the Titans high school. Right. Um, and he played football there. And I worked at this local paper in Northern Virginia. And so I covered him uh, or wrote about him because of that, because he was from one of the towns. He's from Alexandria, Virginia, which is where I, you know, one of the papers I was the editor of was the Alexandria Gazette packet. So I had kept up, you know, like I got, I met him then. And then we we just kept in touch. And it, it's funny before Gronk was Gronk, like before you, he was like real famous. I remember he like, there's one time he invited me. He's like, I'm going to be in Atlantic City with the Gronkowskis. You should come up and hang with us. And I was like, ah, nah, I'm not driving all the way up to Atlantic City for these. Well, I don't even know who these guys are. And I was like, in retrospect, it was a big mistake. I could have had a night partying with the Gronkowskis. But no, so I had this when he went to the WWE, I had this idea of because I grew up a big W, you know, pro wrestling fan, you know, WCW, WWF at the time and I had this idea, like he was in, he was at NXT and I, and NXT was growing. And I came up with this idea that I pitched to the Washington Post magazine. Like what if we followed this guy around for like six months and wrote about like what, it, what it's like developing and creating a pro wrestling character. Cause that's what. Cool that? was Man, that doing. Was a blast. Yeah. And so <laughs> I got to, um, So you know it it was a lot of logistical you know hoops to jump through because the wwe just doesn't let normally let just a lot of journalists behind the scenes but i got ultimately got approval for it and so i went down and for about i guess it was like four days i was down at nxt with mojo um and interviewed triple h as part of the story um but like you know did you know went to a couple tv tapings at the that the at full sail university yeah. where they do the show hung out at the ww training facility each day went to like they they do like these shows at like you know for especially for the 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 lesser people on the NXT level they go to like you know These different towns in Florida and just do like their version of house shows you know like at community centers and stuff like that like it you know it's not for like like at the time when I was there I was there at the taping when um like Kevin Owens was still technically the champion at NXT but he was oh, wow. about to—he was about to get pushed up to WWE full time, yeah. yeah. and they were going to hand over. Finn Balor was going to win the, the NXT. Like I was there during the build up to that. Um, oh, that and Mojo—that cool. was a great
2: match between them.
1: Yeah, well, I wasn't there for the match. It was like they were building up to that, um, and then Mojo had just started tag teaming with Zack Ryder, and so woo, woo, and I, woo, woo. so I did this big. <laughs> Cover piece um for the Washington Post magazine about what it's like to develop a, a wrestling career. It was it was a very cool experience. It, I even got to go behind the scenes at RAW when oh, they wow. were in DC because I wanted to compare like what's it like at RAW compared to uh NXT, and that was just wild. Like you know, like mind I blowing. I, well, I guess I can say now is when I, one of the most surreal things I ever saw was. Like Kane ironing his own—he was when he was corporate Kane—and he was ironing his own shirt backstage. And I took a picture. I took a picture, and the WWE people were like, "Delete it from your phone right now!" Like, you know, because it was like they didn't want that out there of Kane ironing his own shirt. Um, But it was a pretty cool story to work on. But that's how that picture came to be. Is I interviewed Triple H. And I told the photographer ahead of time, I was like, get, get, get it. I don't want to like, I'm not, I don't want to ask for a photo with Triple H because I, th- I, I I felt yeah. like that was inappropriate. I was like, get, get an action shot of me interviewing him because I'll probably <laughs> never get to interview him again in my life. That's
2: pretty it's awesome.
0: That, uh, Paul is, well, Paul, obviously his name is Paul, Paul Levesque. Uh, mm-hmm. K dead. So I can say that. Um, they say he's just a, a ins- incredibly great guy, very down to earth. Uh, definitely not what you would typically see on TV.
1: Yeah. I, I, I'll be honest. Like I was down there for five days and like, that was the only time I was really around him was like during the 10 minutes I interviewed him. So I couldn't, I couldn't tell you one way or the other. He, he was nice. He was very nice to me during the interview, but you know, I, I wasn't down there and you know what I was, I was around him. I was sitting there. Um, it was when um, I don't think they're in the company anymore what's what's the that the, the, there was like a tag team that used to say like bada bing bada boom what were Intel their names
0: Mory and big Cass. yeah yeah like they were <laughs> down there
1: and like i remember that was like a big thing because they had kind of passed mojo and Ryder by on the pecking order and like mojo wasn't thrilled about it but like i was and like I was watching them like and I'm I didn't say this to Mojo at the time but I was like of course they're ahead of you like they got like a catch got catchphrase and a gimmick that like really cl- like I was finding it very entertaining watching them and I had yeah. never really seen them before and I was like thinking of my head of course they're ahead of you in the pecking order like they have a good gimmick um and that was like part of the story was like I was not sold on like I was not sold on the Mojo this was, uh, he was like really into his get hype stay hype thing and I was not like he actually wasn't super thrilled with the article. Cause like, it was like kind of a balanced store, like balanced story. Cause I was just like, Oh, you know, I hope it, hopefully for him, it works, but personally, like, you know, he'd be better off being Dean Mutati. I think he'd connect more with audiences, his real self. Cause he's like, he's like a really smart guy. Like he's, and I also thought I was like, he was trying to be a good guy. And I was like this,
2: he'd be better as a bad guy. Yeah. So well, Mark, real quick, uh, real quick, we're ahead, talking John. about Memphis. we talk yeah. about Memphis football, Mark and uh, basketball, and uh, so you're a Michigan. Alum. Um, mm-hmm. So, who's the next football coach at Michigan?
0: I wasn't gonna bring it up, Mark. Just <laughs> um, to be, you know, I wasn't gonna bring it up. I'm sure. What do you mean you that, you do that historic
1: that's... win over Rutgers last night didn't convince <laughs> yes, you? Yes, that was that, a uh, very historic <laughs> man. The I man. picked
0: Rutgers to win. By the way, go ahead.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I think. People are like people who are saying he's gonna get fired don't know Michigan very well. I don't think he's gonna get fired. Now, will this be his last year? Perhaps, but it won't be like Michigan fires him. He might. They might not agree to a contract (laughs) extension, and he'll walk away. But like my my whole thing is with Michigan is like they can fire Harbaugh or get rid of Harbaugh, whatever. But like I always say this about any coaching search, tell me who you're gonna hire as the replacement or who you're looking at, and like to me the options are like like people talk about Matt Campbell at Iowa State, I guess that you know maybe you know just to make a change for change's sake you know and he's a but like ultimately before this year he's never won more than eight games, like Luke Fickle is interesting, but he's also you know and he's he's an Ohio State guy though. And I don't think that should preclude them from hiring him. Cause like one of the things people like the, one of the big misnomers about Michigan, like Bo Schembechler was an assistant at Ohio state for Woody Hayes. And then yeah. Michigan hired him. Like it's right. like, you know, the greatest Michigan coach ever is actually, was actually at Ohio state. So I don't know. I, I think personally, if I was Michigan, I, I would, I think I, I think I'd punt and wait to see what happens next year before I, make a decision, but I don't know. I I also wouldn't be shocked if it's, you know, this is his last year too, you know, like let's see, you know, or, you know, they're not going to beat Ohio state, but maybe they could like, that would change everything, but they're not, you know, but maybe they win these, they play Penn state and Maryland. Um, if they win those two and then lose to Ohio state, they end up four and four. And so maybe you can talk yourself into like, well, you know, let's see how it goes next year. Um, now if they if lose the Penn State, a bowl
0: game against somebody, nobody knows who, what's that? I said, I said, I said, and then you've got a bowl game coming up. Against yeah, that those too. One-
1: if that, ha- if the bowl games happen, you know, I'm, I'm still dubious that all these bowl games are going to actually happen this year, yeah. but we'll see. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's interesting at Michigan, but you know, it's funny when I was a student, I would complain about Lloyd Carr. Cause like he couldn't you know, he'd, he'd win nine, 10 games every year, but couldn't, you know, really, you know, we always lose a game or two that you, you weren't supposed to lose or whatever. And then now, like now I, you know, I'd love to have Lloyd Carr back, <laughs> like,
0: his,
1: <laughs> you know, like going through Rich Rod and Brady Hoke and, you know, and I think like people, Harbaugh gets a bad, I, Harbaugh gets a bad rap because he came in with so much hype and bluster. Yeah. And like, it's partly his fault, but like, he's actually like, He's done, he hasn't done it. He hasn't done what you wanted him to do, but he hasn't been horrible until like this year, probably. Um, I I always say this to Jeffrey Wright, my co host on 929 like with Harbaugh, it's never as bad as people say it is, it's also never as good as people said it was, (laughs) you know, like it's somewhere in between. And so, the problem is, they're paying him nine million dollars a year, whatever it is, and he's not obviously delivering on that. So right Michigan's in a tough spot. I, I don't know. I, I honestly have no idea how this is gonna play out exactly. Urban
2: <laughs> Meyer, talk <no>, kid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Urban Meyer, I, I don't I don't I don't know if Urban would make that jump. I, I think it'd be crazy for him to do it. Then
2: I hire an Urban Meyer.
0: That's yeah, he
1: wouldn't come there I
0: know, uh, when we talk about college football, obviously we talk about Memphis Tigers. Uh, currently, and they're now sitting at 5-2 and two after a 56-14 win yesterday. Uh, against, I went back and watched the game. I think first half, I think Stephen F. Austin was a gritty football team,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, just to be honest with you. Um, I, we wasn't running the ball very well first half. But if you look at just the pure stats of it, Brady White was 18-31 for 269, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, Conray Dare saw a little bit of action over two. Uh, But what impressed me was our running game yesterday. I I alluded to it first half, we couldn't get it going. Second half, we did. Uh, Colin Watkins had a heck of a football game yesterday. Uh, 11 carries for 100 yards, averaging nine per carry. Uh, Total, Mark, we ran for 305 yards, as I'm sure you well know. Um, Calvin Austin had another breakout game. I love watching that young man play football. Uh, Todd Washington is another guy that I enjoy watching on this team as well. Um, Give me your just breakdown of the game yesterday. Mm -hmm. And also uh, just going through this season uh, and you covering the Tigers like you have, can you give us a little insight into just how difficult it's really been for Ryan Silverfield and this staff?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I'll start with the game. I mean, it was a one score game until late in the third quarter, ultimately um it seemed like you know the pick six that Brady threw seemed like it really kind of put Memphis on its heels for a little bit like they and they they you know that game it was a one score game but ultimately if Memphis Memphis struggled a little bit in the red zone particularly in that second quarter and if they if they get two touchdowns instead of two field goals you're probably looking at the first half a little differently than than you did and and um like you mentioned that, you know, they got, they, they were able to run the ball in the second half. They wore down Stephen F. Austin. Um, I, I was actually, I thought the defense, you know, again, it was against an FCS team, but defense holds Stephen F. Austin to one touchdown and shuts him out in the second half. That was pretty good. You got TJ Carter back in the secondary. Um, so all in all, you know, there were, it was a little concerning. Like if they, like, frankly, If they play that way, the way they played against Stephen F. Austin, where they essentially, you know, they played, you know, two and a half good quarters of football. I don't know if that's going to get it done where you can win out the rest of the way. Now, at the same time, you saw some encouraging signs in the second half when they blew them out. Um, And the run game, I think, is particularly important because, you know, it as much as, as high flying as this Memphis offense has been over the years, like it's, it was built even under Mike Norvell, like the run game was such a huge part of it. And it was, it's been weird how ever since that UCF game, the offensive line had struggled to really open up holes. And frankly, they struggled some in this game too. I mean, Ryan Silverfield said after the game, he's not happy with the run game still. Um, Cause a lot of the, like, but like, if we're being totally honest, a lot of those yard that 305 yards came on three or four big runs in the second half when, you know, like Mark Quavius Weaver and, and Kyle Watkins were in there and, um, credit to them. But ultimately, I don't think you're going to be able to wear down Navy and Tulane and Houston like you are against a Stephen F. Austin team. So, um, It was a, it was a, they did what they needed to do, but ultimately that, you know, and, and it was, and it looked better than that USF game. So that was a good sign. And now they move on to this stretch run of three games in a row, where if you can win them all, maybe you can figure, you know, and Tulsa, you know, loses two games here. Maybe you can figure out a way to get back, get into the AAC championship game and get another shot at Cincinnati. Um, Like I said, I I do think they're going to need to play, better and like the offense is going to need to be better um in those games and hopefully the defense found something this week that they can they can take with them the rest of the way because I thought they played a good game um and then as for the season as a whole I mean it's been difficult it's been difficult for every team in the country um you know you're doing way more zoom meetings than in-person meetings you're having to go through this testing protocol each and every week. I mean, obviously Memphis, you know, had that three week or four 28 day break in September after they had that outbreak. Um, and then, um, they had to then they had an unexpected off week a week ago because Navy had an outbreak. Um, so I've, I've said, you know, like they're five and two and like, what, you know, Obviously, if, like, let's say they lost their last three, you'd be disappointed if they finished five and five. But, like, ultimately, in terms of like Ryan Silverfield, like, I don't think no one's, you're not, like, his tenure is not going to be judged off what happens this year. No. Um, no. Like, and I mean, like, you know, like, ultimately, like, what's going to determine his tenure as the Memphis head coach is going to be next year and the year after when you know, more than likely he's going to have to have a new quarterback and, and, you know, you know, it's going to be more his guys than Norvell's team. And I know he was part of the staff, but, you know, he, he, I said this the moment he got hired and I was probably a little more skeptical about his hiring than others in town and probably still am to a certain extent. Like, you know, ultimately, if you look at his resume, you know, he's a guy who probably wouldn't have gotten any other head coaching job, but the Memphis one, but that doesn't mean he's not necessarily the right guy for this job. Like there's plenty of guys who, you know, the resume didn't look right, but then ended up being fantastic coaches. Look at Dabo Sweeney at Clemson, like, you know, like, um, and so, but I said this from the get-go what, you know, cause one of the selling points of hiring him was, well, we can just keep this thing rolling that Mike Norvell had. And I've said all along, I go, what's going to determine what Ryan Silverfield's success is not how he's similar to Mike Norvell, but how he's different than Mike Norvell, because he's not Mike Norvell. He's a different guy. And so he has to mold the program in his image, not Mike's image. And, um, I think you're starting to see that even with, you know, some guys who are transferring out and, and just the way they play. Um, and so it's, uh, I'm interested to see how this all, how this all plays out. But right now so far, you know, so good. I mean, there's, there's been some, you know, I mean, I get, you know, the, obviously the SMU loss was disappointing, but I think frankly, you can explain that away to They didn't play for 28 days and then came back and, you know, of course they were looked a little rusty. Um, and then I'm trying oh, and then the Cincinnati loss. Like, yeah, they didn't play well, but Cincinnati has, for the most part, been kicking everyone's butt this year. And so – it's a
0: good football team. Yeah. There there was a lot of Memphis fans online during that game and after that game. And I get it. As a Memphis fan, with your Memphis blinders on, you don't think you should lose to anybody. But Cincinnati is kicking everybody's ass right now all across the country. And, I mean, I'm just being honest. And I think that they should have a chance to play for a playoff – they should i I, I do i think i think they have earned that they're not gonna get it but they should no they won't but i think here's my opinion put them put byu on a neutral field let them play whoever wins give them the fourth spot
1: i don't i'm with you i'm with you um i'm with you what they should do is just have an 18 playoff it would solve i don't understand why you don't just go to it solves everything every concern you have, you know, everyone would get in and everyone who deserves to be in would get in and, you know, we'd let it, you know, we'd settle it on the field, so to speak.
0: But, Do you think 16 teams is too many? Probably. Yeah. It's probably
1: just too many weeks of a season to have 16. Um, I think eight feels like the good number. Cause you got, you got the five power five conferences whoever the best group of five team is and then two at large teams, it seems perfect to me. I mean, that that seems to be the right number in my mind, but we'll see, maybe, you know, with all this, the money, these schools are losing because of the pandemic, you know, maybe this, maybe that forces the issue a little more because, you know, having another round of the playoff would be a lot more money for these schools because it's a you know, four more playoff games that, right. that ESPN or whoever would be televising.
2: So, Hey Mark, um, whenever you get a chance, can you give us like a update? Not like today, I'm sure, because you know media is not available to the football team right now. But West Coach Colin Granberry back in the day at running back from Memphis. Do you know anything about that? The K- Kalen Granberry, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like he, has not, yeah.
0: He, he hasn't sniffed the field all year. I'm just curious why.
2: Yeah,
1: I saw. I think I saw his either I don't know if parents or whatever, but like there was a group of people wearing like a shirt with his number and his name on the back. And so I assume it was his family or someone close to him in the stand. So I assume he's still at the program. Um, Maybe he's he's red shirt. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I think frankly, I think it's partly because I mean, look at yesterday, there were five different people who had rushing touchdowns yesterday. They have a lot of running backs right now. I mean, Asa Martin is, you know, yesterday was the first time he really had snipped the field in any significant fashion. Um, and he's, you know, former four star recruit from who went to Auburn and Miami or whatever or was slated to go to those schools. So I think it's I, my my educated guess would be it's just you know, it's a very crowded running back room at the moment. Um,
2: and I can see and, him, like you said, being redshirted as well, because he played two years at the junior college drought. And they don't want to risk his talent as actually come out and something happened to him as well.
1: Yeah, but uh, I was well, ask the, you about, the good part is no one. I mean, this year, no one's uh, eligibility uh, according to the NCA. Everyone, you, you don't lose a year of eligibility
0: this year. Everyone can so, come back. So you everybody know. will be, will essentially hold the same yeah, class. Yeah, if they, they, they want right to.
1: Now. Yeah, if they
0: want to. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, but all right, all right. So let me ask you this: in terms of like you just said, everybody can hold their eligibility. How does that affect this recruiting class we've got coming in? From from what I've seen and heard. It's a good class.
1: My understanding from listening to Ryan Silverfield talk about it, talk about this is it's not this class it's going to affect. It's it's the next class. It's the 2022 class where, you know, depending on how many guys, you know, especially like seniors who would have maybe graduated, whatever, moved on if those guys decide they want to come. If it's depending on how many of those guys decide they want to come back, From what, because because they, if you decide to come back and you're a senior, you don't count against the scholarship limit. So for this year, it won't. For this recruiting class, it won't matter. It's the 2022 class where if these guys who are staying a year longer than you thought, like a junior stays for his senior year, that's where that's where I think it'll become. You know, something these programs are going to have to
2: figure out moving forward. Okay. I noticed also lately the last few ball games, our offensive line has basically been playing different positions. This is a two part question. Mm-hmm. And then also our defense is basically doing a lot more four man down linemen instead of three down linemen that they have started, you know, throughout the year to start it on that. I'm me personally, I've always been the four man lineman down on defense personally, like especially last year when we had O'Brien and all of them on the defensive line. But uh, can you just talk about? Are we looking like that? Our offensive line has been moving around a lot. I don't. I, they
1: they did it right before the season. Like Manuel Arona Lopez moved from guard to center. Um, I'll be honest. I haven't been. I haven't okay. been looking closely enough um, to, to if if they have changed it. I you know I haven't note. I haven't personally noticed anything with the defense. I don't know if they've changed a the four down lineman as much as they have. Um, as much as they have uh, like Cole Mashburn and I'm, I'm blanking on the other outside linebackers name. Um, But I think they have them in like a defensive lineman stance sometimes or up at the line of scrimmage to rush the passer as edge rushers. Now I Silverfield said yesterday after the game, like he feels like, like, I think part of the issue with the defense this year is they have not picked up whether it's whether it's Mike McIntyre or not, you know, not adjusting well enough to them, or them not picking up Mike McIntyre's scheme quickly enough, I think there's been some issues there. Like they didn't know, they didn't have, you know, especially with no spring practice, and limited time together in the summer. I think they the players and the and the defensive coaches have struggled to gel, um, and Ryan seemed to indicate he feels. Like especially after yesterday, he feels like the defensive guys are picking up the scheme better now. they they seem more comfortable in it, um, and so that might have been a blessing in disguise of not playing the Navy game a week ago. You got that extra week to really you know you could focus in on some of the stuff that's
2: been going wrong, particularly on defense. Um, so, do th- well, do you think McIntyre is finally coaching from the sideline maybe instead of the press box, or? No,
1: I've asked him about that previous, I think like that's where he's comfortable. Like, so I, it's like, you know, I mean, there's something to be said about being there on the sideline to fire up guys and talk to them face to face. But, you know, I've always thought it's like kind of overblown, like where someone coaches, like wherever they're most comfortable, like he probably yeah. likes being up there because he can survey, you know, he gets a better view of what the offense is doing. But, you know, there's other coaches like I covered Virginia Tech, like Bud Foster coached from the sideline. And the Cincinnati,
2: which, yeah, Cincinnati Vince coordinator. I know coaches on the sideline. That's why I brought yeah.
1: it up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. Just, I personally, it's just like someone's preference. Now, you know, you could make the argument if like you know, because Memphis we've seen has struggled at starts of games. Maybe it would be helpful to have McIntyre down there on the sideline with them. But like, he doesn't come across to me as like the fiery guy. Anyways, like that's not really his um yeah. thing yeah like he's more of a cerebral guy more of a coach's coach you know he grew up with the son of a coach um so but we'll see I mean uh, you know I I know he's taking a lot of heat I I suspect next year it'll be a lot better because they're gonna have hopefully something more closely resembling a full off season. Uh, together right. like I think part of this is just like they didn't they haven't had much time together and you know and and things are just not normal right now because of the pandemic
0: well Mark when you look at this football team coming up we've got Nate as we uh, as we talked about um as a Memphis fan Navy has always been a thorn in my side uh last year I thought we played them pretty well. um, Looking at Navy, uh, give me give me some uh, some things you think Silverfield and the guys will be having to uh, – obviously, we know they're going to have to prepare for the option. Um, yeah. What is well, something that I think we need to be worried about this week?
1: Yeah, well, look, it, this is not the same Navy team as last year. I mean, obviously, Malcolm uh, Perry's gone. Um, but if you just look, like in 2019 last year, they were averaging over six yards per carry. that option offense right now they're averaging 3.82 yards per carry um and the defense and Wes, you were talking about the run game in this back in this yesterday and how it was a good sign that they had 305 yards well this is a navy team that you should i think be able to run on again because again in 2019 their defense at Navy was given up 3.17 yards per carry. And this year it's 5.86 yards per carry. So it's not this. It, it's not a great Navy team this year. Um, now, that being said, I don't know if Memphis has ever beaten Navy in Annapolis. And I know it'll be different because there's going to be no one there. No fans. Better, not,
2: better, better not rain.
1: Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the
2: rains, we're done for. I know that,
1: gosh. But, but defending the option is not, like, some complex thing. It's assignment no, football. it's It's, it's really just put a, put a hat on a hat and go get your man. It's really you know, helpful. it's yeah. like guys, like, you know, it's going to, you know, I think Memphis is set up, you know, decently well to defend it in that, one, they've been pretty, you know, the, it's the pass defense that's really been bad this yeah. year. The run defense has been, you know, not special, but it's been okay. And you've got two good defensive tackles and Dorseus and, and, uh, and uh, O'Brien Goodson, guys who have played against this offense before. Um, And you've got, you know, I think their linebackers are pretty good too. And you've got some veterans there in JJ Russell. And um, so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. You know, one thing I do worry about is you know Navy's known for you know four or five times a game they're going to take a shot. You know they're going to throw the ball and take a shot, and I do worry about the secondary with that. But I, I just don't. I don't think it's a very good Navy team this year. Like they're not. They're they're kind of more. But like, frankly, two years ago they weren't a very good Navy team either, and right. Memphis lost to them. So um, I I sense this is going to be not necessarily. The easiest is the wrong word, but of the last three games, this is the most winnable game in my mind. Um, like, I think Houston and Tulane are better than yeah. Navy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, by far.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. The one, the one thing that really concerns me, I think we'll probably see like a Cameron Kinley or Kinley for the, the former uh Lausanne kid match up with Calvin Austin because mm-hmm. they played against each other back in high school and they know each other year in, year out. Mm-hmm. But that'll be an interesting matchup on the wide receiver versus corner matchup going into that game as well. Yeah. We'll but uh, see. Yeah, No one's been able to stop Calvin yet, so no. we'll see. <laughs> yeah, just Twitter says, can't catch Calvin. But uh, as we talk about basketball now with Penny Hardaway going into uh, next week, Wednesday in South Dakota, <laughs> which I'm still surprised we're actually going to that road trip as well mm-hmm. with all these teams that are optioning out and optioning back, you know, and still alive and playing in that. Which they also added Western Kentucky today, if I'm not mistaken, as well. Yeah. But uh talk about next Wednesday's matchup against, uh, I believe it's good old St. Mary's now instead of uh Ohio State. Yeah, yeah St. I mean,
1: yeah, I, I'll be honest, I don't know much about St. Mary's this year. I've I've been told by the some of the staff members that they're a pretty good team though. I mean, I think in, on Memphis, if you look at Memphis side of the bracket, St. Mary's is, I don't, you know, old, Memphis is going to be the favorite and should win the game, you know, because I think if we're talking generally about the season, I'm actually really excited to see this team, especially, you know, get the news yesterday that Moose has been cleared. Hopefully DeAndre Williams will get the waiver. I, you know, he frankly. What's latest, to, right. What's the latest on that? You think? I mean, I think they're just waiting on, you know, it's getting sorted out with Evansville. Like Evansville hasn't been cooperating throughout this process. And so we'll, like, we'll see, <laughs> I guess is how I would say it. Um, but, you know, from what I've been told, if Deandre is allowed to play, he will be one of the best players on this team. Like from the practices, like there's been a very clear, like pecking order. Like if you talk, if you're talking about the top, who's the best players on this team, I was told it's not even, it's not really a question. It's Landers, Nolly, DJ Jeffries and Deandre Williams. Um, and so um, hopefully he gets cleared, but even if he doesn't, I think they have a really nice roster this year. Um, you know, those guys like Lester Quinonez and Boogie Ellis and Damian Baugh and Malcolm Dandridge are a year older. Landers gives you a proven score. DJ, I think is ready to become like a star, um, in the league. Um, you know, you've got, you've got Musa who gives you a nice, you know, a nice presence down low, a def- you know, a guy who can block shots and really athletic seven footer that probably, you know, the type of the type of prospect no one else in the AAC has really a seven footer who's a super athlete. Um, But, and then in terms of this tournament, like, it sounds like, you know, St. Mary's is, you know, even though they they didn't the the tournament wasn't able to replace some of these named teams like Ohio state and Creighton and Texas A&M with, with other main teams, Duke. Yeah. But like St. Mary's a pretty good team. Like they're going to contend for the tournament, like Northern Iowa, who Memphis could face in their second game, I've been told is, you know, might be the third best team in the field um, other than Memphis and West Virginia. Like there's a chance. Um, So I think it's going to be a nice little early season test for this group. And you know, the only downside, like you mentioned, Jonathan, like hopefully none of them get COVID up there because the transmission (laughs) rate is really high. And then we've seen if someone on your team gets COVID, you got to shut down for two weeks. So like, I would hate to see them lose the chance to play Ole Miss and Auburn because they went to South Dakota. So just let's, you know, cross your fingers and hope it works out.
2: I guess that's what I was getting at, yeah, because I'd love to see that British Pearl versus Penny Hardaway matchup, Mm -hmm. and then especially you know, Kermit Davis recently just tested positive as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, he'll he'll be back, I'm sure, before the December 5th matchup down in the the arena, yeah. But uh, do you think we're gonna miss Tyler Harris just a little bit more than we think because I think we will, to be honest with you?
1: Well, it just depends, I mean his shooting and his energy, especially on offense were important parts of the team. Um, I will say what it seems like to me. I mean, like with Landers, you have a good, you have a, you've added a good shooter. You would assume Lester Quinones is going to shoot the ball better this year. DJ proved last year to be a better outside shooter than I think some people predicted. And, um, and then it, here's the reality: is you know it was really hard playing Tyler on the defensive end, especially because he's not a true point guard. And so if you're playing him with like Lomax, it just presented some some real mismatches that teams were able to take advantage of. And I think you know I didn't even mention Boogie as a shooter. I don't think Boogie's a true point guard either. And so it just it limited some of your you know some of your options because tyler was so undersized defensively um but to say like i mean the the reality is iowa state scooped him up pretty quick like he's a he's a good player and i think um a guy as like a six man is like it's great like i i would love to have that type of scoring ability coming off the bench for me um in a in in an ideal world but you know i I, am sure there will be moments where we go, oh man, if they had Tyler Harris, but I'm, I'm guessing there'll be moments where you go, you know what, like having this bigger backcourt is a real boost. Like, I, I just think like, if you look at like some of the lineups that Penny can put out there this year with, it's nasty with the length he can, you know, if you say, let's say you have Damian ball at point guard landers at the two DJ at the three deandre at the four and and moose at the five like that is long that is like yeah. a tough lineup defensively um that's gonna make things make life miserable for other teams for for opposing teams so um it's like a give and take with tyler like i, I don't i you know it's you wish you wish it would have worked out better um, and that he he could have stayed here, but I think it's worked out for both sides pretty well. Like Memphis is in a good spot, and Tyler's in a good spot, and so Absolutely. hopefully Memphis, you know, gets back to NCAA tournament this year, and maybe we'll get to see Tyler in the NCAA tournament with
0: Iowa State. Mark, it'd be a good matchup. Oh yeah, it'd be a great matchup. Uh, one last question, Mark, and then we'll let you uh, have the rest of your afternoon. Um, just give me your prediction on Penny Hardaway and this team this year uh where where do you see us finishing up
1: see i think i think the the only team capable of not uh, the only team capable of winning the conference other than them in my mind is Houston um i i think if you look at the league you know whether it's SMU or uh USF or Cincinnati or Wichita State like i think Memphis is clearly superior talent wise to them and Houston, I think they're more talented than Houston, but I I don't think you can discount. I mean, Kelvin Sampson is the best coach right. in the league. And so right. you can't discount that. Um, I, I'll put it like this. I think they finish first or second in the league. And I think the NCAA tournament drought ends and we'll see from there. And, you know, like, I, I think they're fully capable of making a run to the sweet 16. You know but like that's all dependent on matchups. but i guess my prediction would be first or second in the league and they make the ncaa tournament this year and you know i'd probably lean towards um i'd probably lean towards them winning the league uh, i don't want to like declare it but like i think they have the best roster in the aac um now that's not a guarantee of anything um right. but I think Penny has learned a lot during his first two years on the job. I think a lot of these guys that were on last year's team learned a lot from what they went through last year. I just think you're gonna see a more polished, experienced team out there that um, that kind of, knows what to expect now. Um, and so uh, I think it's gonna be a really fun year of Memphis basketball if, if COVID allows it. Like it's, I, I think, I think the team's, it's really a really promising team is how I would phrase it. Like, I think the roster from top to bottom is probably the best roster Penny's had, like even including last year, um, yeah. like top to bottom, like you don't have the precious and wise men, but you're, you're also not relying on one guy to beat the dude. Like if right. Landers Nolly has a night, a bad night, you've got four or five other guys who can pick him up. Same with yeah. DJ Jeffries. There's just a lot of, top to bottom, a lot of depth on this team, um, particularly if DeAndre
2: Williams gets that win. <laughs> I was going to say, also, the only downside is uh, Memphis is only going to allow 3,000 fans in the FedEx form. But uh, also some breaking news from yesterday as well. Uh, Penny Hardaway also hired a third assistant in Jermaine Johnson, mm-hmm. the former Melrose high school basketball coach, UT Martin assistant, and Troy assistant. To me personally, I think that's a good hire for Penny Hardaway because He's been around in the game, high school and college for a good amount. And uh, talk about that hire. And then also talk about who do you think who could have a breakout season that hasn't maybe not familiar with the Memphis players in general, who could have a breakout season? Um. Well, on the
1: Jermaine thing. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just a function of the pandemic, you know, it's like, oh, okay. it's a guy Penny's familiar with and, you know, they've known each other a long time and, um you know he's he's like you said he's been you know like everyone knows him you know <laughs> like everyone knows JJ um and so we'll see you know we'll see if it, it's longer than one year or not like Penny has said it's a temporary hire um because of what you know every all just the circumstances and the fact that you know I think he wanted Nolan Smith and you know that didn't work out and so you know he didn't get comfortable with anyone else and he's comfortable with Jermaine Johnson. And so uh, that's the route he decided to go. And, and we'll see how it plays out. Cause like I said, he said, it's a temporary hire and maybe, maybe it'll become permanent after the season. So it's like, a it's a, well it's, he's basically like got a one. He's kind of like justice Winslow with the Grizzlies. He's got like a one year audition. Um, And we'll see if the, (laughs) if the, if the tigers pick up the team option, so to speak. Um, But, and, and then player who, you know, you know, there's a player, I, So I think one of the interesting things I'm really going to be looking at, particularly, particularly here early in the season is the point guard position, because we mentioned there's so many options on the team. And I think the big question to me is, can Boogie Ellis play point guard? I, my suspicion is that's not his strength. My suspicion and he suspicion is, He's a, like I watched him in AAU and I watched him last year and I think he's a scoring guard like he that's what he is naturally like can he handle the ball and you know uh, distribute sure but he's the is he the ideal guy to do that I'm not sure um, so that's why I think Lomax is gonna get a, you know a significant amount of playing time this year and then a guy I don't think gets talked about enough who actually does have true point guard instincts is Damian ball and Damian ball gives you that, that length, that, that low max doesn't. And um, if he, you know, last year he was really turnover prone. Like it was a big issue. Like he just turned the ball over way too much. So I don't know if I would call him a breakout, but if you're looking for someone I'm really intrigued with who no one's really talking about, like I'm really intrigued to see what Damian ball does in his sophomore year because I think he's got, the capability to be that point guard that they need. And he's also got that length that Penny really likes in a guard. Um, And so, and he's also, I mean, he's just a fantastic defender. Um, He was coming up and he was last year when he played, but he was such a liability with turnovers, it limited his playing time. And so hopefully a year older, he's cleaned that up, but he's a guy I really am looking for what he does in his second year of college. How about Lance Thomas. I think Lance gives you like a guy who you're comfortable playing. You know, I mean, I see him being like a guy who comes in and gives you, you know, to me, the ideal thing for Lance is come in and give me five minutes energy, you know, like, and if you hit right. a shot or you like, that's what, I mean, that's what his role's going to be probably. But I will say this if DeAndre Williams doesn't get cleared. I think Lance Thomas becomes a much more important figure on this team because, you know, like ultimately, if DeAndre Williams is playing, he's a better version of Lance Thomas, and so he's going to get a, a good chunk of the minutes there. If he's not playing, that that, that there that that means Lance Thomas to me has to play a bigger role. And we saw in some games last year, like he was a you know he had his moments last year. Um, you you want him to be more consistent. Oh um, trouble. yeah foul trouble i mean he you know he he struggled he's not a great rebounder that's kind of an issue he's like not bad as a defender at the rim and he's not bad as a defender but as a rebounder he wasn't great um so we'll see um but i i think he's 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 the type of guy you want in in, as your like ninth man like he's a veteran who you can you know if someone gets in foul trouble you can go to lance and not feel like you're playing someone who's going to be like a
2: fish out of water well, Mark, I appreciate your time as always, and uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. I know you get the in-laws in town until Thanksgiving. Uh, make sure you take care of that little kid of yours as well. Uh, y'all have a good Thanksgiving, like I said, you know. and thanks for coming on with us. No problem. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. It was fun talking to you. No problem. Thanks, thanks Mark. Well, right, Wes. we'll be back right, uh,
0: Saturday morning with another great episode of College Full- College Pick'em Show with Wes and John. Once again, thank you very much for Mark Giannato. Uh, For Kristen Johnson, our video producer, and John Sturbert, I'm Wes Pruitt. Thank you very much, guys.